Welcome to Property and Investing with Grant and Charlie, the place where you're going to get access to all the strategies, tactics, tools, journeys, everything to become a successful property investor. What did you think about that, Charlie? It's a pretty good intro. Better than I thought. Yes. Uh, we'll refine it. Continue. Now, if you're listening to this and you did not know, we have a newsletter. Surprise. Head over to propertyandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter, put in your details, and we will let you know every single time we drop one of these episodes. I'm excited. Kick off a brand new podcast, Charlie. This is fun. Now, let's cue your disclaimer because it's not infamous yet. It's Charlie here from Property and Investing, and I need to let you know that Grant and I and the Property Investing team are in no way, shape or form qualified to give you financial advice. We strongly encourage you seek out and use professionals when comparing investment products or making investment decisions. All right, Grant. Is property investing over? Yes. All right, thanks. That was a good podcast. <laughs> it's done. Well, I mean, things good. do come to an end, right? I mean, there was once upon a time like the tulip mania or, I mean, I'm cautious of even saying this one, but like the crypto mania, maybe crypto's over, I don't know. But I'll tell you what I maybe. find really interesting. Across, let's say, the last six months, there's been a couple of what I would call uh, previously very bullish property investors who have done very, very well out of property that have kind of shifted into being property bears. And not only that, is there's many commentators out there that are kind of, I suppose, predicting or forecasting that property is going to drop immensely and that we should be all in cash and all kinds of things that I think are perhaps, I don't know, maybe emotionally driven. I'm not sure they're coming from the right place. So I thought what would be a, a great first episode is to really bring context and I, I guess share our own opinions on what we think about where property is going and is it over or is it going to continue? Now, on the basis of the name of this show and the general nature of us, I think many people will already assume, well, clearly, guys, you're not going to start a Property Bears <laughs> podcast. Although that's a really good idea. Maybe we should maybe start a Property Bears podcast. Should we change the program? <laughs> just, just talking about how it's all doomed. Doom and gloom. It might be the one in one. Yeah. Well, my take on it overall is I think that many people look are looking at property for, let's say, the next 12 months, not the next 12 years. And totally. if you change the duration you're looking at something, your opinions on that might change as well. So, Grant, I thought we'd do a bit of a back and forth for episode one, the reasons we still believe in property. And I'll let you kick off with number one. Assuming that I do, Charlie. Yeah, wait, actually do? I'm <laughs> like me. No, of course I do. Or otherwise, I don't think I'd be jumping on this podcast. So the very first one for me is, and I think you hit on this awesome point around like the time horizon of like how far ahead you want to look. Um, but it was actually really interesting uh, for myself. I have got a couple of investment properties already, and I actually have been looking at doing some refinancing across the top of them. And a property that we got a valuation, a bank valuation done back in, I think it was like, June, maybe July, the property's actually gone up 40 grand in like five months. Wait, so you're and telling me you bought a property this year and it didn't go down in value as the news had said so? Totally. And so, so I'm, I was looking at this and I was expecting maybe a little drop of maybe like 10 grand. So to be transparent, so in June slash July, it was about $390,000 is what this property was valued at. 
I thought it was going to come back maybe 380, maybe at best like 390. I was not expecting much, but I just wanted to see where I landed because I was going to do some refinancing and look for a, a, a new bank to finance it. It came back at 4.30 and I was sitting there going, wait, what? And so then I went and got uh, my mortgage broker to go and do valuations across the other properties and all of them had either sort of stagnated, which means they were plus minus sort of five grand or increased. And I'm like, this is definitely not what I'm seeing. Like what is the difference here? And so for me, the I don't believe that property is dead. <laughs> And I'm looking at this going, it's just markets in markets. It really depends where the property is, the affordability of the property of the people that are there. Because, yes, the news is correct with some data where things are dropping, but it just depends where you've bought. It depends where the properties are. And it depends everyone that sits around it. So I'm seeing firsthand that, meh, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think property's dead yet, Charlie. Do you have a knee-jerk react to these things, though? So let's say something comes out in the news cycle or the media and they're like, property is falling. Do you generalize the market? Do you find that you go, oh, crap, it is going down? And does it take like a level of investigation into your properties in their kind of like sub-markets to diffuse that? So for me personally, I used to do the full-on knee-jerk and now it's like, ooh, that would kind of hurt a little bit. I wonder how much it's been impacted. And so then I go and get like a valuation done. And I've already prepared for really bad news. And then it's like, well, not bad news. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. Great. So my knee-jerk reactions and responses have like minimized just because I'm like, oh, every time that I thought this was going to be horrific, it's actually turned out to be not that bad or no, it's just not what I'm seeing. So I've I've tried to minimize my knee-jerk reaction. However, I will say every time the RBA comes out with a rate rise, knee-jerk reaction, stuff them. <laughs> like jerks, 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 go to hell. Like that's not what I want. So, yes, I wonder how we'll feel the next time they lower rates. Is it gonna is it gonna change our opinion? Best friends. <laughs> I'll be sending them bottles of scotch. I'll be like, you guys are great, like this is fantastic. But so it's a very right outcome now, focused relationship. Totally. I'm that type of guy. <laughs> I actually had a very similar experience. So across across this year, so currently I have uh 12 or sorry, 11 or 12 properties. I would, I would have to confirm that. Depends how you want to count them, right? Some people are like, you know, if there's two and it's a subdivision. You know, is that two or did ah, you purchase one? So yep. we'll, we'll go with 11 just for uh, convenience sake here. But I've had valuations done this year and I will disclose, I actually have had a couple of properties go down in value by about 5%. So there are yep. markets in which property is going down. But overwhelmingly, my portfolio has been uh, much to the same of yours. I've been quite surprised by some of the valuations. Very, very surprised yep. by the valuations. But the news prepared you for bad news. <laughs> and it was like, oh, thanks for giving me a soft landing. So why has this made you believe in property ongoingly? Yeah. So for me, looking at it, I'm like, okay, then what the news is representing, because it opened a can of worms, right? And it always does. Of me going, well, why? If property prices are dropping 10, 15% in like Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, what is the difference? And it's just, it, they go off dollar amounts as opposed to the number of dwellings that have gone down. And so when you've got a $20 million house in Sydney that's dropping by a couple of mil, Dude, that's a huge impact <laughs> to a dollar, dollar amount. But when you're looking at townships that have got houses for a couple of hundred thousand dollars, like the impact of like a 10, 15% drop is just not going to be the same because they're still affordable to the local economy. And so it was this revalidation of saying, well, there are markets in markets and where you buy is really critical. 
And so I just look at, sure, there are places that I probably won't buy because I don't think that they will crush. But I'm like, they're just markets that I won't be in. But overall, property, I'm like, definitely, definitely there are places that I will continue investing in because I believe they're affordable and they will continue to grow. All right, so interesting point here. So your reason number one you still believe in property is one, that it hasn't actually gone down as represented uh, nationally. You know, that they get a bit funny with the numbers. And then two, you're still believing in a lot of the areas and what's going on within that. Completely. Completely. Right. What about you? What's your number one? I'm curious it's a, it's a competition, by the way. I'm totally going to crush you. <laughs> I, I really shouldn't be opening with this point then. It's a, it's a more <laughs> antidotal one. I feel like this is like – Hey, that's I, fine. You do. You do. I did a bit of research in preparation for this first episode, Grant, and one of the things I wanted to particularly do is go out to my network and particularly young people and see if they're still interested in buying a house. Right, so if a young person today, like, is their aspiration still to own a home? And if they own a home, so maybe they're a millennial, are they still interested in upgrading their home? So, you know, get the dream house and things. What percentage of people do you think I spoke to still want to own a home? I reckon younger people would be bugger all, but I reckon people around our age, I don't know, I feel as though maybe like a 50-50 split, maybe 60% want it. Right, I, I just feel like it's a trend going the other way. You're going to no, tell me it's like a way off. 100. 100%. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, so 100% of the people, and I would say it's a diverse group of people. And, again, antidotal, I wouldn't take this um, to, like, you know, national or whatever it is. Yeah. But everyone I spoke to, if they were young, they still see buying a home as a part of their future. Now, they might have to rent for now while they're, you know, completing education, getting their careers sorted. But there wasn't a single one that's like, no, I'm just, I'm renting for life. Like if the option to own a home in a location they want to live is possible, they're shooting for that. And uh, even in our own conversations or the conversations I'm having with the people that already have the home, they're either thinking about they want to upgrade and improve the property they're in significantly. So value add to make it a home, again, want to own, or they've got aspirations to move to more affluent suburbs. So if they live further from the beach, they go, well, one day I would love to live closer to the beach. So there's this really like ingrained psychology and I'll call it culture um, in Australia revolving around uh, property. And would it, I mean, would it be too far to call it a religion? Kind of is. Yeah, I, feel, I feel like it is. I feel like we could just blend ourselves into it. To, to that point as well, like we had dinner last night and actually, you know, what, I'm going to bring the question here. So, uh, Charlie, did you want a bigger house and uh, slightly closer to the water? Like, would you enjoy those aspirations at some point? Sounds horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Have you uh, thought about it, right? If you live on the beach, all the salt water maintenance oh you got to do, God. the rusting. Couldn't you imagine living close to a CBD? Ugh, so inconvenient. Transport. I'll tell you right now, I do acknowledge that um, – Homes and housing is becoming unaffordable in certain locations. But that doesn't mean people don't buy homes. It just means they buy homes in other places or work their way up to buying those other homes. Totally. I really look at this and until there's a culture, and I mean like really at that level where people don't want homes, right? Just like people don't want shares in FTX at the moment or didn't want Enron <laughs> stock, right? Until it hits a point where people truly don't want that. And this is shelter we're talking about a place yep. to live. Until that changes, my belief in property for the long term is going to remain high. 
Yeah. And it's, it's embedded into us. Like, what is it, the Australian dreams? Like owning your own home and having your family and what is it? Two kids, one dog kind of thing. It's just, <sighs> it's embedded to us. You have to literally peel all that back. There's a stat that came out from the government at just about owning your own home is the crucial element and the difference in retirement. Like the, reti- no, the living standards really? you have are tied to that and they want to encourage it. But I won't dive into that, but it's like <laughs> that's how embedded it is. Even the government's it's, reading it. And, of anyway, course, that hit every news outlet. Yeah, gotcha. Give me your number two. So this, this, was, this was an interesting one and this one kind of hits – home a little bit so my point is like there is an undersupply of houses right like we've we've heard the news say this like there's hundreds of thousands of houses undersupplied and and i'm like but anecdotally is that actually something that i'm seeing that i'm feeling so there's two things that i'll mention the first one was one of my investment properties just came in for like a lease renewal like a rent renewal and so the property manager came back to me and said like hey do you want to bump up the rent a little bit and offer the existing tenants a 12-month lease. And I did what any normal human being would do. I went to realestate.com, typed in their location to go and see what other rentals were around. Nothing. <laughs> like there are no houses. There were like four houses within a – would have been like a 2K radius. There was just nothing that was this size that could accommodate families and everything. And I'm just sitting there. I was just doing research on the dollar amount of – the rent going, should I increase it? Should I dig? Like, should it keep it the same? And I'm just like, there's just nothing for me to compare anymore. And I'm like, how are people moving into this area? Like there's like literally everyone's just fighting for these four properties. And so I was just like insane of just the undersupply of houses in that market. The second one was- Wait, Can I ask a question on that? You go for it. How do you feel about this comment? Is it there's truly an undersupply or is it just an undersupply in the areas people want to live in the accommodation style they want to live? That one. And the big C, the pandemic, it has pushed all of us into wanting like an office at home, wanting somewhere to work, somewhere like a separation because we're around our loved ones so much now that the larger dwellings is what people want, like a bigger house as opposed to a two-bedroom, two-bathroom apartment where people were pretty happy with previously. And so – you're completely right. I agree with your latter statement. It's not that just there is a complete undersupply because if you look at Melbourne and the amount of one bedroom, one bathroom studio apartments like we looked at, there's like millions. It's well, like, maybe that's sure. an opportunity. Don't be giving away hints at the things we'd be looking at. <laughs> no, of course. I don't, um, I don't know if that, I, I know we're not allowed to give financial advice, and nor would I tell anyone. But I'm pretty sure one bedroom studio apartments in an oversupply of Melbourne probably not the greatest investment. And we were looking at it for other reasons outside of property investment. I will put that. And we'll probably release it at some point. But the second thing that I found was, so my wife has got way more friends than I do and she just seems to gravitate towards a lot of human beings. Hold Not surprised. I'm not surprised (laughs) by that at all. (laughs) Anytime I can shit on myself, I totally will. Um, And the thing that we were talking about a couple of weeks ago were the amount of friends of hers who have reached out to her for some kind of help or insight because their house and land packages that they have bought are either inf- infinitely like delayed, like the builder's gone bankrupt, like they're not around anymore. They're now trying to find a new builder to continue the build or the builder has pushed out delays. Like you're talking 6, 12, 18 months delays on these things or the builder's coming back saying, if you want your house built as a priority, you have to pay for the priority. And I'm like, what? what? And then I'm like, where are these people living? 
And they're living. And if they made building homes like Disneyland, you can buy the premium pass now. <laughs> Literally, like, <laughs> so the builders were coming back to them saying it's an extra fifty to seventy thousand dollars for us to go back in and like build the house now. Otherwise, you're waiting for supply costs to decrease and everything. And I just look at that, and these are these are people with young families living in apartments that are too small for them, waiting. Right, and I'm like that, that. That is just going to build this balloon of people who are just sitting there waiting, living in townhouses and apartments, waiting for their house to be built. And then as they start to get rolled out, I'm like, this is just interesting. Like, it's not like we're building on top of net available properties now. Like, we're now pushing ourselves backwards. Like, these places aren't getting built, and they should be. And I just look at that, and I'm like, yeah, this is an interesting thing that has to break at some point, and I just don't know when. But that undersupply does just take time to fill oversupply, whether you fill it with apartments or otherwise. It's just a, a you can't just snap your fingers and fix it. It is just a time component. I, I can so even I go further on this one. It's like I know some developers right now who are actively not developing because their holding mm. costs have increased so much. So they're even actively not building as much. So they're going, unless it's profitable, I'm not doing it. So for many of them. Yeah, I think that's the amount of projects they're even taking on or doing is reduced. Build times have blown out. It's like I, I can completely comprehend and understand why that is going to be a challenge for the coming years. To dig a bit deeper into that, though, do you think let, let's pretend in the next couple of years that uh, supply chains work themselves out, all of this stuff starts to work through, they've got enough workers, do you think there will just be a mass supply come on the market and potentially a disaster from that? Yeah, I just looking at supply and demand, if you bottle up so much necessary supply, right? So imagine, to use an extreme, zero houses are being built this year, just to use that as an example. Everyone who needed to buy properties this year are going to be added to the people who want to buy properties next year. So it's, so you're just like pushing this problem down the road. At some point, uh, there will be some kind of solution where the people build apartments with four bedrooms, for example, and people go, oh, maybe that's appealing, and you can just build them on mass, you just can't force a whole lot of people to go to the construction industry and force all of these things to happen. Like it's just a matter of time. So I don't think an oversupply will happen in the housing market, maybe in apartments potentially, because I think that there's a lot that can happen there. The type of accommodation this, comes into it again. Totally, which goes back to the previous point that we were talking about, which is there are demands for particular types of dwellings, which is like the markets in markets, right? It's like, when you're forced to live in an in an apartment, waiting for your house to be built, like you've got no choice. Like that's that's it. That's what you get. Um, so I don't think that homes will be oversupplied. I think that apartments will, which is great because it means that people won't be homeless. It means they will still have shelter. It's just not their ideal shelter, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think we should go into your next point because it ties into this. Even if supply was suddenly going to increase, so Grant, I'll grab your point three now. This is this was the point that I was like trying not to say because I'm like I just don't want to sort of shit all over it yet. So my third point is the population increase, and so the stats came out a couple of months ago around well, what was the previous year on population increase. So we had a net increase of 130,000 births. So you had 300,000 births, and I think it was 180,000 deaths. So net give or take 130, and the immigration we had a net immigration of about 110, which was 320,000 people coming in and we had about 210,000 people going out. 
Now, the government has actually come out and said that, hey, we need more immigrants to come in, and they're estimating 200,000 net a year. Uh, and funnily enough, the Home Affairs Minister literally last week actually was quoted in saying, like, we are thinking about the visa process with a competitive mindset against the US and Canada. <laughs> like, they, they are now using, they're reducing the time it takes to process visas, which at the moment is like two to three years. They are reducing the backlog of visa applicants. I don't know if you knew, but a couple of months ago, they had a million visa applicants into Australia. And they've just brought that down to 750,000. Like there's this huge backlog of people trying to apply to come into Australia that they just can't get through. So now they've just thrown a couple of hundred more people onto trying to approve these things to bring more people in. And they're trying to compete with other countries, trying to get the same skilled migrants. And they're open about it. Like they did this report about how they're going to be competitive. And so now you've got the amount of immigrants coming in. Imagine it was 250,000. That's a 1% increase on our population <laughs> based on well, we've got 25 million people here. So you go throw 250,000 net immigrants in and that's a percent increase in the population. Like uh, you think that undersupply of housing with a whole heap of immigrants coming in, Charlie, is going to make an impact on the desirable properties? Uh, I definitely think so. I concur. I think this is a really fascinating story here. It's the idea of – and I think – uh, was it their government is spending forty million in the budget yep. to increase the size of the visa processing Huge. team, which I think is massive. Completely. This has already started, by the way, as well. I was I caught a video on uh, digital finance Analytica with Martin North, which was really fascinating. On like uh, what, what do they call it, Bureau of Statistics stats, and he was going through. I was actually surprised to see how quickly we're already bringing people into the country, and. Fast. Yeah, and I must say, we actually know some. Like we, with Jack's uh, playgroup, there's a, a new little boy and they've literally just moved to Australia. And yeah. I was like, wow. It's, it's, so it's not just like what I uh, see in the news or what I hear or what is forecasted, but like real-world application, like there's someone extra buying a house in my area now or renting. They may rent. I don't want to put them into the buyer's category. Who knows? <laughs> but that is certainly but- a, a real thing. That's a house taken up. And we've seen the same uh, in sort of in one of the businesses when we're recruiting. The volume of people who are applying that are immigrants is huge. And I, I actually think it's a great thing. Like, it's awesome. But compared to what it previously was, like, you might get a couple of people who are on working visas or otherwise, but now it's like a majority of them are just hitting hard because they're trying to bed themselves down, get a stable job, and actually be part of the society. And, like, I'm seeing this going, wow, that's here to stay for at least the short term and probably continuing on. Because when they're here, they're not going to leave. Like, it's great. Do you think the development and new build uh, rules are going to get a bit loosey-goosey to bring supplies on quicker? Of course. They have to. They have to. Or you're going to get an influx of people like the Meritans of the world building these great apartment buildings where it's like a resort in the building where their apartments are big enough where it's like a house in the sky. So you can have your office at home, you can support a family of four, you can do these things. And they will sit there and they will say, people like to live in a good location, let's just build up. And I think that that will change from a whole heap of one bedrooms and two bedrooms to like two, three and four bedrooms. I've noticed in the southeastern suburbs of uh, Melbourne, which is where we're located, um, certainly near train stations on the southeast lines, I'm seeing a lot more vertical building. (laughs) Just look up, just look up. And I'm... But I think that it's only a matter of time for them to support families where people with a family will just go, I can live here. 
because most apartments now were like a transition area. It's like young couples, maybe with one baby, and then they grow and they're like, all right, let's go do the house thing. It's only a matter of time where they go, maybe the house could be the apartment. Maybe. I'll pay it. What about you? What's your number two? We. All right. So it's, it's really interesting. I, lo- I looked into this one more deeply and there was a great podcast uh, released a few weeks ago by Stuart Weems that dives into the actual numbers behind this. But uh, I, I don't think the average person and even most property investors are aware how much of a vested interest banks and governments have in property uh, keeping going. So if property was to collapse, let's just say, and I'm not forecasting that at all, I don't necessarily think people realize what it would do to our banking system. Right? So totally. all the banks are very reliant on the mortgages and the asset value of property in Australia. So to think that there wouldn't be some sort of intervention or that there would be policy in place, like first home buyer schemes, like maybe the government buying 30% of your house, like we would just think that that's implausible. So I have this belief, and this is just an opinion from me, is that I don't think we can underestimate how far governments and banks will go to keep the party going. I Mm. sincerely believe that there is a real flaw put into the system by this. And I'll give you some examples. Um, When a developer builds a new property, 30% of the cost is actually tax. So whether it's planning, whether it's uh, cost of uh, like land donation, whether it's stamp duty when someone buys it, whether it's land tax, like there's all these things that actually happen. GST. So when you've got an industry that is funding the government in such a big way, Right? It is very plausible to think, well, if that party was to stop, just how much trouble the government would be and vice versa. Totally. So when I look at this wholeheartedly and you really investigate under the hood of how much of a vested interest uh, occurs, I believe that ongoingly we'll keep seeing governments and banks make changes to policy to keep property doing what it's doing. And we've seen this around the world before. Were you across like the whole Chinese, like China, when they were just building like these ghost cities to prop up the GDP (laughs) when it comes to real estate? Like this is not, uh, maybe you're being a bit speculative here, Charlie. (laughs) This is like countries do that specific thing, especially like for me to support what you're saying. Last couple of years haven't been a great couple of years for the economic growth of most countries, right? Like we printed a whole heap of money, which created a whole heap of debt. And now a lot of countries are going, well, how are we going to continue to bring in money into the country? And one of the greatest ways is more tax or more people coming in like immigration or these other ways so that the government can earn money to help with payment of interest rates on their debt, but also to increase the the economic strength, I'll say, so that again, Australia becomes more appealing, more people want to come here and it's like this little forever cycle. And so I, I concur with this completely. I think that the government, it's more than just them wanting to increase the revenue of taxes, et cetera. I think that this is an entire bigger game of just going, how do we, what is the best level we can push to grow the economy and bring more money into the government? And it, boy, is that a big lever, <laughs> it's a massive lever. Well, just lay it down further. <clears throat> Let's just not even look forward. Let's look back. First home buyer incentives, government grants and home builder, right? The list goes on the equity scheme that has been there before. Like how many times has government intervened in property to keep it going? It's a heavy employer of the country. 
Like construction is one of the major industries that employs the country as well. To think that a government would let it fall, again, with the banking system so reliant on it as well, I just think is untenable. And uh, Harry Trigoboff, which uh, if you haven't looked into him, he's what he would have to be one of Australia's biggest developers. Like he's a uh, uh, someone was interviewing him on the news, and they pulled him up and they said, "Harry, how do you feel about the economy?" He said, "Very good. I have great business partners." And she said, "Can you tell us more?" And she goes, "Well, governments and banks have a very vested interest in this continuing, so I feel like I'm in a great position." And I was like, I love, oh. how we, "Love how he turns to bank." Basically, government's being his business partners. <laughs> I love that mindset. But the, well, think the about it. If all the people, let's say he does a development and it's suited to first home buyers and the government's giving them first home buyer grants to buy those properties, they kind of are. If yeah. APRA is making lending policy more lenient, they kind of are. I would I'd love one day to look through all of like the incentives that the government and banks sort of put together and split it out into – which ones are trying to get more people who aren't in property into property? Okay, like your first home buyer grants and all these kind of like, if you do this, welcome to the property industry. And then versus the ones to try and like keep people in or like buy more house. <laughs> like I would love to see because I think the strategy would become so obvious. It's like, well, you're just trying to push more people into owning property or you're just trying to get more people to buy a bigger house or do something better or move out to rural areas so that you can just increase everything else. One day I might have a look at that because I think you'd be pleasantly surprised. I think there's there would be a heavy weighting towards more people who aren't in property. How do I get them to buy property? I will put in this point, which I perhaps should have stated earlier in the episode from here. Uh, on a long-term horizon and trend, I believe in, in property, but I also believe there will be some ups and downs along the way. Like there will be some volatility. And I think that for myself, the way I'm setting up my own investing journey is to be able to ride that volatility stress-free. It's be able to go, I'm playing a 20, 30-year game here. I don't need to take unnecessary risk that could potentially cause a wipeout or a challenging event. Now, interest rates could go up. They could go down. They might go up again. They might go down again. You know, a whole bunch of things could change in the world that um, would cause this volatility. But over the what we're discussing here, these trends are really what I'm getting behind. Now, I want to throw in, we don't have to go back to you now because you've already chewed up your two I points. Do, I was like, I'm, like, I'm sitting here. I'm like, what am I, just a part of the audience now? <laughs> All right. Hey, Charlie, uh, you got a third one. You want to guess yes. what your third point yes, is? Yes, I do. Oh, that's awesome. Well, the, That'd be fantastic. All right. So the third reason I still believe in property over the long term here is inflation. So I, I've, I've told this story on another podcast, but I'll, I'll tell it again. Is like when we look, I look to my uh, nana, my, my grandmother, right, and just – what she bought a house for and then what it's turned into or even to my parents and like what they spent on houses and how inflation has worked, I think it's a really big superpower that when people start to look at what inflation is and how to protect themselves, the asset of choice starts to become property for many people or myself yep. included here. And again, not financial advice. And the reason for that is that if I'm to take out a loan for $100,000 today, I'm just using an easy number to make this uh, more understandable and digestible, and the inflation rate is 7%, well, that would mean every year 7% of that debt is actually eroding. And over time, let's say 10 years later, to pay back that 100000 becomes really, really easy. And the example of this is my nan bought her house for like $11,000. So today, how easy would it be to buy a property in for $11,000? Yep. 
It's inflation at work. Super and I think <coughs> when people rude. start to unpack that and really dig deeper into how inflation works and if they believe it's going to be around, it starts to become attractive in that way. Like the debt becomes a tool for actually working with what is going on with inflation. And because it's been such a hot topic, like in the last, let's say, 12 months, inflation is really concerning people. Inflation is something that I would say the general populace actually knows about. If you go back like yeah. five years ago, I don't think anyone was even paying attention to inflation or what it really was. And they also uh, loved no the RBA. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, the RBA is my friend. And I actually think that they just got lulled into a false sense of security. It's like, no inflation, love the RBA. Like, this is not the case. I am, um, <laughs> funnily enough, I was sitting down with my parents uh, a couple of weeks ago and I was talking about this exact point and I made them open up what their first house when they got married was and note they've probably been married like 40 years now and like how much they bought it for it was like thirty-four thousand, and they sold it for like 80 something thousand and now it's worth like 1.5 million or something like that and they're just like inflation <laughs> this is this is serious like and you're talking that was just a 40 year span of something that went from like they were pretty happy that it basically doubled when they left but then it just continued to completely ride and they're just like oh wow like that's that buying a house uh, in an inner Melbourne suburb for like $34,000 is like easy. <laughs> it's like simple. Um, what do we think yeah. is going to happen over the next duration of time? And I, I will clarify that point as well. My, my belief is that property goes up in two ways. A part of it is inflation, right? So inflation over time definitely plays the role in a value has been. Then you've got the asset itself and it's yep. the combination of those two that become more interesting. I've always really thought about this as well. So currently I've got a bunch of uh, loans or mortgages, I should say, on 5%. And uh, Grant, what's the inflation rate? It's uh, 75 I think, give or take. So we'll give it a 2.5% spread? You make it 2.5%. So am I making money on the debt? Like if I've been borrowing money and the at 5% and it's getting inflated away at 7.5%, like, am I actually increasing my purchasing power and becoming more wealthy through the mechanism of real interest rates? Totally. It, totally, because it's the purchasing power that's being uh, eroded away. Completely. We might do a whole episode at some point just focusing on inflation at work <sighs> through property. Deep topic. I love that topic. Well, I'm actually convinced. I don't know how you feel about this. I'd love to know your answer. Do you think it's possible to make money in property purely through in inflation? The asset value doesn't go up at all. I have I have been thinking like all the all the mortgages I have on the houses. I wonder if I just never paid them down, and when I'm kicking around at like seventy, just like giggling that I have like so, so it's this tiny this tiny mortgage, but it was like the same of when I bought it, <laughs> and just going oh let's push that button and just pays down like a an average month's worth of salary and it pays off a mortgage. So to that point, um, I, I do, but I still think that the asset growing adds like the real compounding value on top of it. Like inflation as a standard just doesn't grow fast enough in my opinion. Like if you look over the last five, six years, the inflation was pretty small. <laughs> I'm like, I do want the asset itself to increase. Hey, I didn't ask what you want. I asked if it was possible. I, it, well, like in an is, ideal world, we want to buy an asset that goes up in value, but I it think is if possible. people- yeah, it's hard to wrap your head around, but it's actually possible to make money off inflation if you dig deeply enough into it. But that's just another reason I really believe in property overall and why I think the long-term game is so important here. It's just a fun first episode, Charlie. Yeah, enjoyable. It. I think you, you did well. I'll, I'll give you a 9 out of 10 
Although they did very well. But I'm, I'm, I'm considering up. if I'm really considering if we should even make episode two. Like, was this maybe this was something we tried? <laughs> Drop the mic, walk away. I did one good episode. I'm out. If you're listening to it and you actually want more episodes, just let us know. Uh, head over to propertyandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter, put in your details and actually reply back to Tyler's emails and let him know if you think that we should continue creating more episodes because I think it'll be funny. Just want to say thank you again for joining us and we actually look forward to catching you on the next episode because there will be one.